This week on the podcast, we speak with the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation about how they're using virtual events and ways you can too. This is Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. My name is George Weiner, your host and the chief whaler of wholewhale.com. Thanks for joining us. I love today's podcast because we are bringing you a new idea and implementation of a technology that has been sitting in our backyard for quite some time. We're talking with Emily Dulkin, the online community experience lead at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation, CFF.org, and their online virtual events. Almost think of it as like an online sort of conference with breakout rooms and interaction and guest speakers. They're able to facilitate all of this for a community that actually can't meet in person because of the limitations of the disease. Uh, it's got such a broad application and potential, I think, for more organizations to experiment with this. I'm excited because Emily walks us through what it looks like, how it got started, what they're measuring, and what it's meaning to the community. Uh, this podcast will give you ideas. It will give you a way forward and a new toy, potentially, an avenue to explore for connecting your audience together, uh, some potentially more than others. But definitely, if you're in a health field, uh, you're going to want to save this one. I'm so happy to be here with Emily Dulkin, the online community experience lead at the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. Emily, how's it going? It's going great, George. How are you? Well, I'm very pleased because I have an experience lead here. Uh, perhaps oh, you yeah. can share with us uh, what an online community experience lead does and maybe a bit about uh, you know the broad strokes of what uh, CF is. Sure. So my position, it's really exciting because it's a sort of a new area for everybody, especially for nonprofits. My role is to really nurture the online community for the Cystic Fibrosis Foundation. So it's different from communications. It's different from public outreach. Um, it's really focused on making sure that our community feels heard and respected by the foundation. So for those who aren't familiar with cystic fibrosis, um, it's a life-shortening disease that primarily affects the lungs and the digestive system. Um, it is genetic, so you're, you're born with it. You get it uh, because both of your parents are carriers of, the, uh, of a genetic mutation that causes the disease. So, um, you, but the sort of uh, similar experiences for people with the disease stop there. Um, CF manifests in a variety of different ways, um, starting with you know the most extreme cases, people who are diagnosed immediately after birth. Um, some, of course, are diagnosed beforehand through genetic testing, um, whereas other people can live for decades without knowing they have CF. They just think they have a bad cough, you know, or can't get rid of that cold. Um, so it really does affect uh, the lungs. Um, People with CF can't clear mucus from their lungs like people with healthy lungs can. So mucus builds up, um, attracts bacteria, and over time that bacteria causes infections um, and illness and can lead eventually to failure of the lungs. So a lot of people with CF um, do end up getting double lung transplants in order to address uh, the lung failures. Um, in addition, with the digestive system, again, again that 
mucus coating prevents the absorption of fats and um, other nutrients. So people have to take, you know, dozens of pills anytime they want to eat in order to um, effectively digest and process food. So as you can imagine, um, it affects every aspect of people's lives, uh, breathing and eating, um, along with several other uh issues and problems that can occur. So um, people tend to spend, you know, on average two hours doing treatments to clear their lungs of mucus. So there's a vest that shakes people around to loosen mucus. They do inhaled um, treatments and antibiotics to address uh, lung infections. So it's, you know, it, it conditions your entire lived experience if you have this disease. And um, one of the fascinating things about it is, and something that was really discovered relatively recently, is that the bacteria that people harbor can be very, you know, uh, it can be deadly. Um, and so if two people who live in different places who both have cystic fibrosis come into contact, they can exchange this deadly bacteria and they can end up um, infecting um, each other and, you know, a person could, could die because of uh, the contact between those two people with the disease. So the clinical recommendation is that people with cystic fibrosis not come within six feet of one another, um, which is, uh, you know, tragic in terms of, you know, consider living with uh, a chronic illness, an incurable chronic illness at the moment and not being able to sit across the table from somebody and talk about your experience. Um, and I think that's what really moved me when I when I learned more about C CF and started working at the foundation is that, you know, people can't connect in a way that can be truly meaningful and, and powerful, especially when living with such a, such an illness. So um, my role is to really figure out how to overcome that being a primary barrier. Also, it's a rare disease. So only about 30,000 Americans have CF and they, of course, live all over the country. So there's not necessarily even somebody who has CF that lives near you that you could connect with, even if you could get together in person. So, um, you know, my role is to really uh, bring people together, and uh, I focus primarily on a new program at the foundation focused on virtual events where we bring people together for real-time interactions online, uh, specifically around a number of topics that relate to living with the disease. So we're creating uh, time-specific uh, moments between three and five hours usually where people come together, we uh, present keynotes on a variety of topics, and then we allow people to break out into small groups. So we use video um, technology to bring people together in these small groups. We have trained facilitators who run conversations, um, and topics range from everything to romantic relationships, to navigating uh, going to school or starting a job, or when you're too sick and you can't work anymore and you have to leave a job, uh, intimate relationships, uh, relationships with family. So it's been a, a really amazing journey so far. Wow, that's a fantastic summary of uh, the entire landscape. Maybe you can take <laughs> us back. Uh, maybe you can take us back when you, you first came in, uh, and you originally started at the, at the Peace Corps, so being on the ground, I guess, is something maybe instinctual to you. How do you get a program like this going? Because it seems like a bit of a leap to say, hey, let's just meet online. Yeah. Absolutely. And um, first and foremost, we listen to the community. So uh, the CF Foundation, actually before I started working there, um, underwent uh, about five or six years ago a strategic planning initiative where they really reassessed 
their purpose and how they could better serve the CF community. And one of the things that came out of that process was people in the community saying, you know, you have, you know, we have an annual research conference for scientists and uh, clinicians and researchers. We have an annual volunteer conference where people who are involved with fundraising and volunteer activities come together and um, build skills. But there isn't a conference for people living with this disease. And um, one of the most exciting things in, in CF is that uh, just two years ago, the uh, population of people with CF 18 or older surpassed in number the the uh, number of people who are under 18. So um, it means that the majority of the CF population is now into adulthood. And, um, you know, just a couple decades ago, people's um, life expectancy, you know, parents were told to enjoy their time with their children while they could. And uh, life expectancy was very, very short. And now you have people living into their 30s, 40s, 50s, and in some cases well beyond, um, who are enjoying complete you know, and full lives. And so issues like um, retirement and even marriage or having kids, th- those issues never came up for people with CF because they weren't really generally living that long. So we listened to the community that you know, is now populated by a lot of adults. Um, and they wanted an opportunity to get together and they, they know that technology is here, you know, like the internet is a thing (laughs) and can we use the internet to, to find a way to meet. So we, um, we heard from them and, and we sort of were able to absorb what they were asking for. In addition, of course, we had a really supportive leadership at the, at the foundation. And so, you know, something of this scope and scale wouldn't be possible without support from the innovative leaders at the foundation. And if you know anything about the history of cystic fibrosis, um, you know, it's one of the most amazing stories in medicine. And I, I won't go into that. That's a whole other podcast. But essentially, there are now um, two uh, drugs on the market that target the underlying mutations or some of the mutations that cause the disease. So some people are taking a pill and um, I wouldn't say their symptoms are all gone, but they are living uh, longer and much uh, higher quality of life as a result of these medications. And a lot of that innovation came from the foundation. So um, yeah, I think those those are the two ingredients is really listening to our audience and um, having support from the top. And then um, we were also given a lot of room and creativity to just kind of figure it out. <laughs> you know, uh, I work really closely with uh, my colleague Danielle and uh, Danielle Cipriani, and um, we were given a lot of freedom to really make this work. And uh, you know, some of the solutions we found are a bit scotch taped together, but um, we've managed to pull off at, at this point uh, six virtual events. We're hosting another one in just about ten days. And um, the the response from the community has been incredible. So we, we know we're on to something. Nice. So let's just get some specifics because virtual event could be like, are we wandering around in Second Life? Uh, right. <laughs> you've done six events. Well, walk me through it. What did the last one look like? How many people showed up? Are, what you know medium are we on? Sure. So we're in a couple of different online spaces. Um, So our last event was about sexual and reproductive health um, for people with cystic fibrosis. It was um, just for adults with CF, so 18 and older. Um, And uh, this is a really important topic because, um, you know, this disease affects every system in the body. And for men, in most cases, um, men with CF um, are sterile. Um, they can't have biological children, or if they do, they have to go about it in a, a non-traditional way. Um, and for women, um, it, you know, having CF can definitely affect pregnancy if people want to have 
children. But, you know, in terms of sexual and reproductive health, there are so many other issues besides the, you know, biology of it um, and the physical aspects of it um, for having kids that are related to uh, sexual and reproductive health. So having conversations with partners about your disease and how that might affect uh, uh, physical intimacy or other aspects of emotional intimacy. So lots of issues come from that. So um, we do have people register online. So they're simple sort of online event registration form. And on the day of the event, they log into a virtual environment. And so this is one of the, this is sort of one of the first places where we've noticed some challenges is that a lot of these products on the market today that are virtual event spaces are really geared towards corporate or commercial uses. So there are people trying to sell things to you or HR directors trying to, you know, manage a workforce and share, you know, workforce information. Um, so, but what we want to create is a community space, like a comfortable, um, you know, clear and easy to access place. So, uh, the environment company that we found is one of these standard, you know, spaces where you can, um, you know, set up different rooms that people can go in. Uh, you have, you know, chat features and other things. But uh, we had to do a lot of customization. So um, for this past event, um, the event took place in a coffee shop, right? So it's not one of these corporate, like you walk in and it's a lobby and then you go into the conference room. And <laughs> we had to customize the space and the, the feel for our community. So we made it into a coffee shop, um, which, you know, took a little bit of a back end work on our end. And um, in addition, the other really big technology I, I hesitate to use the word customization because it's really just more of a, a scotch taping effort. <laughs> but um, video is a critical piece of these events. So people come in and usually the first event that we have is a keynote. And the keynote is for everybody in attendance um, on a topic that is of general interest, um, anywhere between one and four speakers. So we might have um, a presentation or uh, generally we usually have panel conversations. So there will be a moderator and then um, two, three or four panel speakers speaking um, from different perspectives and experiences of life with CS. Um, so in this last event, we actually had um, a clinician um, who talked about some of the medical implications, fertility, um, and and other aspects of living with the disease around sexual and reproductive health. And then we had a couple of folks who shared their personal experiences. So that's great. People are like, okay, sounds like a webinar. Um, it's not. <laughs> um, it is a live event. You do have an opportunity to ask questions within the keynote environment. You can chat. You can um, even be brought up, you know, as a participant onto the screen to ask a ask a question of the speakers. So those are some really nice features that everybody can experience. Um, but the best parts of the event come after the keynote, um, and these are video breakout sessions. So we usually have up to ten people. It's usually between four and ten people who go into um, private breakout rooms, um, all via video. Um, and they have, you know, what looks like a Brady Bunch style screen for those of the listeners that remember the Brady Bunch. <laughs> um, and you've got all these faces and people um, represented on the screen and they can all see each other and they're talking face to face. And this is the type of interaction that people with CF can't have with each other safely um, unless they're on video, uh, unless they're online. So 
it's been incredible to hear feedback from people who have participated in these events, particularly around these breakout sessions where they are meeting each other, sharing information, talking about issues that nobody else in their life understands. You know, if you don't have the disease, you don't know what it's like to live with it. You don't face the challenges that people with it have. So meeting other people who get it. And I can't tell you how many times I've heard that phrase from participants. It's so amazing to hear from and talk with other people who get it. Um, and that's really what it's all about. So the events usually have a closing. We'll do a, a quick sort of coming together at the end back in that uh, keynote style space um, yeah. where the, the event organizers will, will thank participants and send them on their way. That's interesting. What is the, uh, out of curiosity, the, the software? I said you, you, mean, you looked at many different types. Yeah. Um, so the virtual environment that we use um, is from a company called Six Connects. Um, and if you look for, if you just Google, you know, online virtual conference um, software, you get a lot of options. Um, and in our experience, I'm sure there are subtle differences between a lot of these companies, but for our needs, you know, one was kind of as good as the next. <laughs> so yeah. um, that's the one we use. And then we had to integrate, we actually had to customize and integrate um, the video input. Um, and for that, we use BlueJeans. So um, BlueJeans was the, the company we have now for both the sort of broadcast keynote presentations and the breakout groups. Gotcha. And so to walk through what this uh, conceptually is, I show up, I'm on, a, I'm on my laptop over in Minnesota, and I enter into this environment. And at first, it starts off in a backdrop of a coffee shop. I'm watching sort of passively. I can chat into it. Uh, and then my sort of video is turned on. I pop into a room. Is there a moderator, a mini moderator, a facilitator yeah. that goes into those, those mini rooms? How many people also are, are coming to this event? Sure. Yeah. So, um, yes, there are facilitators. We have trained facilitators in each of these breakouts. And that's a really important piece of these events to create <coughs> a, a sense of safety and comfort for participants. So um, the, the facilitators manage the conversation, make sure things flow nicely, handle any difficult personalities that might emerge. Um, so that's been a really important piece of, of our success. Um, the event attendance really depends on the type of event. So we've had six different events so far. Um, one of them, which is sort of our, our signature event, is called BreatheCon. And BreatheCon has happened twice. And this was the one that was originally sort of imagined by some of our community members. And, and they put it together. Um, and BreatheCon is just sort of the annual everyone get together. And it's on a variety of different topics. Um, the breakouts and the keynotes and things like that. Other events that we've hosted have been more topic specific. So as I mentioned, the sexual and reproductive health event that we had uh, just a little while ago, we had one um, earlier this year in February that was actually open to family members, uh, which is an expansion for us. Um, it was our first event for family members. And that was all about self-care and relationships, um, navigating those things while living with CF or having CF in your family. Um, events last year were targeted. We had one targeted towards young adults, and then we had another that was targeted towards people uh, considering or post-transplant, um, since transplant is something that a lot of people with CF um, either have to consider or have to do. Um, so attendance really depends on the type of event. Um, our largest attendance has come from the BreatheCon events, which can get upward um, of around, you know, almost 400 people at our last one, whereas some of the other ones, they usually average around, you know, between... 
a mm, hundred and 120 people. Um, but because of these technologies, you know, we, we can scale further. I think at this point it's a matter of really just continuing to get the word out. Um, but, um, you know, it's really worth it. Even if it's, if it's 80 people, you know, or a hundred people, it's, it's worth it because we're really making such a big difference in people's lives. Yeah. It's interesting. The, you know, the sort of scale, I was just wondering the, the facilitator to attendee ratio at some points, like, would you want to to go to like 4,000 people or would that become a circus? Right. It's, um, that is actually one of as a big challenge because we do reach a point where we have, we can't meet the demand for breakout topics because we don't have facilitators for them. So, um, I'll step back and say everybody, all of the programming for all of these events comes from the community. So for every event, we assemble a volunteer work group that gets together and uh, usually spends around two months planning the event. So coming up with the keynote um, or panel topics, identifying topics for breakout groups, recruiting facilitators to manage these groups, um, and then conducting community outreach. So um, uh, major kudos to all of our volunteers. Um, it's, it's really incredible to watch that process and be a part of that process. So yes, I mean, we, we have to have facilitators for each um, round of breakouts for each breakout session. And, um, you know, sometimes a lot of people want to just participate. They don't want to facilitate, but at the same time, those that do facilitate and a lot of people do, um, are gaining, gaining a great skill set. You know, they're, they're learning. We, we train them. I run trainings <laughs> before each event, um, to, to train people in facilitation techniques and, uh, prepare them. Um, and for the most part, the feedback from them has just been outstanding. They really love it. Um, they love that opportunity to connect and, and really, um, foster a sense of community amongst their peers. So you were hinting at the incredible nature of the results from these events. I mean, mm -hmm. you've done six, you're doing more, and it seems to be baked into more and more the strategy that you're building. What are the metrics, the KPIs that you're looking that suggest, uh, aside from attendance, that it was worthwhile? Yeah. Um, so we do the sort of standard post-event survey that I'm sure a lot of listeners are familiar with if you have any experience with event planning. Um, and one of those key metrics um, is, of course, <coughs> net promoter score. So we're asking people if they would recommend a future event to somebody that they know. And our, rec our net promoter scores are typically, you know, if I do say so myself, off the charts. <laughs> They're very, very high. So the people that take the time to respond to our post-event surveys um, are doing so, I think, because they they, for the, you know, for 99.9% are extremely enthusiastic about what we're doing and had a great experience. Um, we also do look at a lot of qualitative data. So um, there are a lot of open-ended questions in our surveys. And of course, not everybody fills those out. But um, time and again, I mean, people have told us that these events have changed their life or have changed their um, approach to their disease or have encouraged them to be more open and communicative with people in their life about cystic fibrosis or issues of living with CF. So, um, and it's not just a one-off, you know, one person said this one time, it's consistently dozens of, of comments like that, that we get as feedback. Um, in addition, we, we look at other sort of uh, metrics, you know, time that people spend in the virtual environment. Um, we look at how many new people, how many people who never came to an event before came to this event and how many people are, are repeats. Um, 
And we're starting to try to figure out, I mean, one of the key things that I'm, I'm really curious about is I believe that these events are, you know, it's one of the easiest doors to step into when you're thinking about the work of the CF Foundation, which is a large organization with a lot of different nooks and crannies um, and a lot of ways for people to get involved. And uh, these events, you know, if you, just by showing up, you are setting your foot in the door of the CF community, and um, that can lead to so many amazing things, uh, uh, advocacy work, um, being part of our um, uh, uh, group of contributors that write blog posts for the foundation to share about their disease, um, tons of committees, uh, research work that commu- community members can get involved with. So I really think that um, bringing new people into the fold is a critical metric for us and, um, you know, Data is never perfect, but we're working on figuring out how to calculate that number. Yeah, at least you're asking the question rather than just holding up the banner saying, here was the attendance that obviously worked because we did the thing uh, and looking for ways to improve it. And it, it seems like it, it's, a, it's a good approach. Uh, I want to move into a pro versus con uh, with regard to this topic of virtual events, specifically around health communities. Mm. And so in this game, uh, if you're willing to play, Emily, in this game, we're essentially talking to the people listening right now who may be at uh, health foundations or health-related organizations, and we're going to play the the voices in your head, pro versus con. You can take either side. Okay. So uh, pro versus con of building... Whether whether or not you should build a virtual events program... Uh. For your health-related organization. Okay. And if you take the pro side, you are all pro. You make the case, and then I come in like a jerk on the other side, saying nah, rah, rah. <laughs> Got it. Okay. Uh, I'm gonna go pro. <laughs> okay. Okay. Yeah. Uh, would you like to start? Um. Sure. Well, I am all in favor. My big thing is community. No matter uh, whether it's <coughs> online or in person, I think that being part of a community or several communities is part of a, a healthy life. And so I don't think that there, um, there can be, of course, drawbacks, but I think that uh, online communities are really an untapped resource when it comes to finding ways for people, particularly with chronic diseases, to uh, live uh, live their best life. So I, I, I that's, that's been the long and the short of it. <laughs> okay. On the con side, though, Look, Emily, we already have our Facebook group. And by the way, the conversations we see there are not great. There are people gaslighting each other. There's awkward conversations because we're dealing with a sensitive a sensitive topic here at uh, Undefined Foundation of Health. And when people are sharing this information, it's just it, – it's, it's the worst of all worlds here, uh, which is why we need to just keep it to experts and we can't let people talk to each other. What do you say to that? That – that is exactly why you need a virtual event. There are several controls in the virtual event space that you can exert um, that are not in place in places like Facebook groups and other online spaces. So um, this is actually a fantastic way to create a controlled environment for your patient population. Um, in terms of the work that we do, uh, you know, we Everybody has to sign on to a set of community guidelines, um, which are your sort of basic common sense, be respectful, don't be a jerk (laughs) sorts of guidelines. But, you know, requiring people to sort of read those and consider those and check a box 
um, is one sort of control. We also don't allow anonymity. So everybody has to use their real name and a real photo of themselves when they're logging into these spaces. And if they don't, we, we pull them aside and, you know, they, they got to do it. Um, so um, instead of people being able to hide behind online personas or just kind of blend in with the, you know, thousands of other people that happen to be in your Facebook group, um, people need to own up to who they are. And, and I think in a lot of cases, people want to connect around the, the real interests and experiences that they have. Um, we work really hard to create a safe space in these online events. So like I said earlier, the facilitators contribute widely to that. People from the community are creating the programming and the event schedule. So there's already this sense of, of community and connection with people who understand where you're coming from. And it's not just, you know, a nameless, faceless administrator or, um, you know, the, the big organization behind the event that's controlling things. It's really from the community, and I'd say including the community is really essential in the planning of these events. So I would say it sounds like you need a virtual event. Perhaps. However, I have two more issues over here, and one is the the, the true cost of time. You sound very smart, Emily. I don't have an Emily on my team. <laughs> how like how do I possibly get going with the number of facilitators and also someone who can do the technical execution, not to mention uh, I don't know what a, a six connect blue jean fill in the dot thing is. Yeah. Beyond that, like I spend all this money, right? I spend all this money to put on my first virtual event and nobody shows up. It is so hard. The cold start of online where I'm trying to push this idea. How do I even get a sense of that? And, and it just seems like it's all risk before we get to like the shining example where, you know, you're up on the stage at South by. Yeah. Um, cost is definitely an issue. Um, and, uh, you know, being at an organization that is so supportive of our virtual event efforts is um, a privileged position to be in. So we do have that organizational support. That said, there are so many tools out there that you can get for free or really low cost that could facilitate, uh, you know, beta version of this type of, of an event that, um, if you have the, the, the person time and the will, um, I think that anybody could create something like this. So it may not be as beautiful as logging into uh, a virtual coffee shop, but, um, you know, there are, and I'm familiar with organizations that are using, you know, email and, uh, links to Google Hangout rooms in order to facilitate these, um, small conversations. And, you know, I think, you know, in terms of the second question, you, you got to set appropriate expectations. You can't necessarily think that even a hundred people, um, <coughs> will show up to your very first <coughs> event. So, um, you know, do set the expectations that are appropriate for your resources um, and your goals. Um, and I think, again, involving members of the community in the planning of these efforts. I mean, the people that plan our the programs for our events are all volunteers. And I think they see the value in this kind of connection and uh, have have received a lot of value by participating participating in past events. Um, so it's almost like a snowball effect. You may start with two or three really excited people. And uh, the next time you organize an event, you'll have a handful of people who participated in the last one, and they're going to want to get involved to, to plan your next thing. So, um, you know, you may not see the returns you want immediately. But if you pay attention and you encourage people and you're genuine in your support and your vision, I think you can't go wrong. 
And that wraps it up for Pro versus Con. Emily, usually I, I claim to have won. Uh, I think you kicked my butt pretty badly, actually. Uh, I'm convinced. Uh, I'm really excited that you uh, decided to share share this with us. Uh, anything about this program, before we move into our rapid fire, anything else about this program that you just want to share with our audience? Oh, um, you know, we're talking here about a chronic illness and um, people taking care of themselves and their health and something that affects every single piece of, of their lives. Um, so it's, it's, it, you might think that it's easy to say, well, of course we're making a huge difference because we're connecting people who might have otherwise never connected. And, and we do have many people come back to us after these events and say, I never met another person with cystic fibrosis. Um, so it's easy right there to like, you know, pluck the heartstrings. But um, I think this desire to be in community is really a human trait. Um, and there are a lot of ways to foster community and connection around any number of ideas or topics or experiences. So you don't have to just be like me, focused on people living with a chronic illness. Um, you know, we're really seeing dramatic impact among family members as well. Um, and a lot of times, you know, people don't want to talk about cystic fibrosis. They want to talk about other things. And we're seeing more and more emerge of people yeah, they came to this event because they have CF, but they end up talking about their pets or, um, you know, what they like to do in their free time or playing games with each other in these breakout spaces. So um, I just encourage anybody who who really believes in the in the power of community to consider bringing people together in this way online because it's extremely powerful. Brilliant. All righty. We are moving into our rapid fire rounds where... I ask you inane questions, and you respond very quickly. Mm -hmm. How quickly is quick? (laughs) Uh, I'll straight up say about 30 seconds. All right. Okay. Emily, please talk about a mistake you made early on in your career that affects the way you do your work today. So many mistakes, but I think um, not bringing in other stakeholders at the beginning of a project or initiative, thinking that I had all of the answers and I knew what exactly was right. Uh, And I think that uh, that lesson has reverberated, particularly in my current position of working with an amazing community that knows way more about cystic fibrosis than I do. What is one tech tool or website that you started using or the org has started using in the past year that has changed the game? Um, we love using Slack to organize our volunteer work groups. Um, I'm sure this one has been given before, but we use the free version and, um, young and old tech savvy or not people pick it up real quick. And, uh, we have a lot of, uh, after hours chatter happening among our volunteers on Slack just cause they're hanging out with each other and it's great. Do you believe that not-for-profits can successfully go out of business? Go out of business? Uh, yes, and I will use the CF Foundation as an example. Um, I think the mission of the CF Foundation is to cure cystic fibrosis and uh, help people with the disease live uh, full lives. And I think that we will reach that goal someday. You will be able to be born with CF, and you will then someday, then at some point, not have it. Um, and uh, our work uh, continues until everybody has access to a gear. If you were to jump into a hot tub time machine and go back to day one of your job at CFF, what would you tell your younger self? 
Oh my goodness. I would tell her to be patient, <laughs> um, hang back and listen, um, which I, which I'm always trying to practice, um, and to really absorb the, the wisdom and the experience that comes from this in, incredible community. What is something that you think either you or your organization should stop doing? Stop doing? Oh my gosh. Uh, we are confronting, and so I think we're starting to stop doing uh, the data siloing, you know, so different programs and different people uh, sort of have their own fiefdoms of data. Um, so uh, stop not integrating organization-wide data. If you had a Harry Potter-style wand that you could wave across the not-for-profit sector, what would it do? Oh, my gosh. It would collapse into one functional organization all of the disparate nonprofits that have overlapping or extremely similar missions but are pulling resources in a lot of different directions. So unify and streamline uh, different nonprofits into single functional entities that can actually get jobs done. <laughs> Emily, you've been so generous with your time today. How do people find you? How do people help you? Sure. Um, well, I've been taking a little bit of a social media hiatus just because, you know, hashtag self-care. Um, but I do have uh, Twitter and Instagram accounts with the same name. It's the letters M-L-E-K-A-T, pronounced Emily Cat. And uh, that's really the best way to find me and how to help me. Um, go to CFF.org and check out the amazing work that the foundation is doing. We have local Great Strides walks happening in a lot of different locations around the country right now where you can learn more about CF, meet people who are affected by the disease, uh, have a lot of fun, and maybe uh, give a little money to support this incredible story in medicine of curing cystic fibrosis. I love your work, and I think you've inspired some people today. Emily, thank you so much for your time. Good luck. Thank you. We will definitely have show notes for this episode number 95 at wholewell.com slash podcast because there's a lot of links here and ways to get started, I hope during the pro-con, actually, that I was playing the voice in your head saying, ah, oh, we can't do this because we don't have the audience, we don't have the funds, we don't have the time. Think about it. If your organization's purpose, if its real mission is to help people with a certain type uh, of disease uh, or illness, think about think about the, the, the power that the CFF group is having when you have people in the room that are able to help each other. This is a unique situation because it's not like a patient's like me where we have some message board. It's not a Facebook group that anyone, frankly, can create and curate. This is an intimate space that's carefully carefully brought together with experts, with volunteers. And, you know, there's, there's a sort of flywheel effect, of course, the flywheel being a giant wheel we push and it moves slowly, moves slowly, and eventually, eventually gets the right momentum. But I think there's ways of testing this. You heard the way that Emily talked about having a registration page. They initially start with, all right, what is the interest for this event? By the way, you can put that up pretty cheaply with an Eventbrite and say, hey, this is what this event looks like. Here is the topic. This is the audience. Here is the speaker. And it builds on and maybe makes it a bit more intimate than just uh, yet another webinar. Please experiment with this. Find some time. Find some budget to, to do this, especially if you're working in a health-related field. Uh, I, I think 
not-for-profits are uniquely suited to to create these environments because of the trust and care that they bring to the the industries that they bring to the the topics and causes they cover more so than than others or independent actors or financial actors in the space. All right, the blueprint is there. This is episode number 95. You can find links and I hope we gave you a new idea today. Enjoy. This has been Using the Whole Whale, stories of data and technology in the social impact world. Resources, as always, may be found at wholewhale.com slash podcast. Thanks for joining us. As always, thank you, Greg Thomas, for your divine music and inspiring editing. Truly well done. Check out gregthomasmusic.org and get some of his music into anything that you're creating, and it will be a better thing for it. We love you, Greg.